Arzy, first off, it's uh, nice to see you again. <laughs> you mean from that brief conversation in yeah. my driveway on Sunday morning? <laughs> Somebody Listen. texts me and says, I hope you and Farwell haven't left. I said, well, I got to his house and luckily I didn't pick up our coffees before picking you up. But yeah, it was uh, quite the Sunday afternoon slash early morning, late morning, I guess, when uh, pulling into your driveway, when I see you walking out normally, I'm the one who shows up to games and to car rides wearing probably a toque, maybe my suit jacket, some dress shoes, and maybe some gloves. You like to, you're a little smarter. You show up the big winter coat, the winter boots, a hat, mitts. You're going to be warm no matter what. I'm rolling the dice. And I see you walking out of your house, no jacket, no toque. I think you had running shoes on. And I thought, Hmm, that doesn't look like Farwell's ready to go to Windsor right now. Okay, let's take this back half a step, though, since you brought it up. Because you remember when this reputation of yours started and is well-earned, right? Trip to the Sioux. It was one of our first trips together. And you went to the Sioux, and I know it was March, but it's still the Sioux. And you went up there without a winter jacket. Yeah. And I remember we get to the hotel, and I'm like, what? Dude. You're like, the rink's just across the street. I, said, I don't care if the rink's just, you're in Sault Ste. Marie right now, but you're like, ah, whatever. But boy, oh boy, that was quite the walk because what you do at, in the Sioux, if you don't know, now you're going to know. The hotel is essentially across the street from the arena, but it's a, it's a good hike. There's, what would you say, seven, 800 meters? It's not a kilometer. Anyway. Yeah, probably. Maybe there's 500, but yeah. You walk out the, the hotel parking lot, Across the street, you're into the parking lot of the mall, the station. It's two mall. city blocks, essentially. Two city okay. blocks. But what you do when you know what to do is you cut through the mall to save yourself some steps outdoors because it can be brisk. And then you pop out the doors of the mall that give you the best direct line to the arena and you make a beeline for it. And there we were. Well, I was dressed for the weather. You not quite. <laughs> No, I wasn't. I'm just really glad, though, that I smartened up. Because if you remember, that wasn't the coldest walk we had to make that weekend. Remember the one that was so bad? We took a picture of you next to the uh, snowbanks on the side of the road. And my beard <laughs> froze in the time it took me to walk from the hotel to the rink. Like, it was actually frozen. Yeah, that time I definitely had a toque. I remember I had it, like, right down here. And I, I think I had, like, a, a scarf that I wrapped up to, like, the bridge of my nose. that Just my eyes were showing. And I still hated my life. But yeah, I learned my lesson pretty quickly about my jacket. But anyway, I just when I saw you coming walking out of the house, I thought either Farwell's losing it, he was robbed, and someone stole all his winter clothes, or we don't have a game today. <laughs> this tangent brought to you by David Schooley, award-winning broker at Remax Twin City. You see, when you're going to move, you want to get things right, and there's a lot of stuff that you got to get right when it's time to move. So what you need to do is just call. David Schooley, 519-577-1212. Text him at that number. Once you're working with him, he'll be with you every step of the way. And as difficult as it can be, he's been there, he's done it, and he'll help you do it too. 519-577-1212 online, goinghome.ca. David Schooley will help your next move be the easiest move you've ever made. Did he write that for you? I just, what do you mean? I just did that. Wow. 
That's how we do it on this podcast, Colby. If I, you, write, I wrote uh, the first one. I could tell. You're not going to write them all. I, it'll, you'll you'll get there. Why would you write them? You work them in. It's part of the conversation. Well, it's well, a 30-second ad read. Yeah, no. not, not 30-second well, ad read. Speaking of, if you want your business to be on this <laughs> podcast for a 30-second ad read, and we'll probably give you more and mention it a few times because we're nice people. Let us know, farwellandpope at gmail.com. Hit us up on the Twitters at farwell underscore OHL or at underscore Chris Pope. What I would like your business is right here. What I want to know now is which yep. way you would prefer to have it done. The way Chris read it last time or the way I'm, I'm not going to promise what I just did was 30 seconds. It was probably 30-ish. I might have been. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I think you should pick Chris's because then he has to actually write it first, which makes him do more work, which is awesome because the guy is a slacker. But well, the, 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 if they want to purchase airtime on this very podcast, they can write whatever they want too. If they want us to sure. say something certain, if they're promoting an event or if they just want a proper commercial, or you can leave it up to us two idiots. Just give us some talking points. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> totally up to you. Totally up to you. But if whatever you want, we'll do it. And you know what? We're kind of like Ron Burgundy. So if you're going to write something, we'll read it. So if what you just it, don't like your ex-girlfriend and you want to put a 30-second... No, see, oh. no. You, I was just going to say, you said whatever you want. That's not how this is going to be. We're going to have standards on this. Believe it or not, there are standards 30, on this 36 years of never having standards. I ain't starting now. Anyway, to the, the story that began all of this before the tangents. And farwellandpulp at gmail.com. Get your business mentioned right here just like this Sunday morning we're getting ready and so I'm not gonna lie I was not moving as well I, I didn't have a bad Saturday night or anything it's just uh, it's Sunday morning so my significantly better half saying 10:45, and I'm in the back room getting my tie on and I'm like don't worry it's Pope he's at least five minutes late all the time so I finished tying up come out to the living room and she's like he's here I'm like holy crap he's like right on time which admit it Popey that's rare 36 new new year new me baby i dig it i dig it so i'm like okay i mean i'm i'm ready i just have to throw on my winter stuff and come outside i have everything you know the the gear my hockey bag everything's at the door oh just grab my phone off the charger and it's good like it it couldn't have happened any better because i never have my phone like that it doesn't ring it's all always on silent and as i'm taking my phone off the charger like oh this is interesting hello Farwell, have you left yet? I'm like, Pope just pulled in the driveway. Don't leave. I'm like, okay. And so I get the word. And so you're waiting, probably wondering why I'm late. And about three minutes later, I walk out of the house just the way you describe me. I'm like, yeah, we're not going to Windsor today. So the funny thing about this, I, I think I've got this right. So try to follow the bouncing ball. The, the Rangers originally had a game scheduled for Tuesday, January the 25th versus Sarnia which was postponed. And I believe, don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that game on Tuesday, the 25th was postponed. So the Rangers could play on Saturday, the 22nd in Flint. The thinking being it's easier to reschedule a game in Sarnia than it is a game in Flint. And then the Rangers were playing three and three for the weekend. The Saturday game in Flint added back onto the schedule to make up for a previous miss. Tuesday's taken off because three and three is enough four and five is probably too much and then they don't end up playing three and three anyway because the sunday game in windsor gets postponed either way it's just another 
I know. Try to follow the bouncing Listen, you, puck. You right? confused me. I, I feel bad for our casual listeners after because I'm <laughs> like, sure. I think the Saturday game was a reschedule and the Tuesday game was removed to make room for the reschedule. And then they could have just done the original schedule. Anyway, Popey, there are not enough days left before April the 3rd, the final day of the season. I love that we're soldiering through. I feel bad for whoever is making the schedule, but there just aren't enough days left. Too many games, not enough days. I'm with you. And I apologize for, um, just blanking out on when these games were scheduled because I was saying to my girlfriend, Kate, earlier, I'm like, I don't even know when I'm working next. Like, she's like, what's going on this week? I'm like, I don't know yet. <laughs> games might be canceled. Games might be rescheduled. I, I just look in my phone every morning in my calendar app and that's what I'm doing today. Um, but as, as for what you said, I'm, it's going to be tough for sure. And as, as much of a scatterbrains as it is trying to figure out when these games all are, I feel bad for Herbie at the league office who does all the scheduling because I, I don't even want to know what his nights are like. Like he must not sleep at all. It must just be like, I'm picturing like Zach Galifianakis in the hangover when he's at the poker table and all the numbers are running through his brain. Like that must just be Herbie when he tries to sleep, just living in the matrix nonstop in his own brain, trying to figure out how he's going to maneuver all these games and who's going to host who and how many games you can get in and travel and border crossings and COVID protocol. No, thank you. But as you mentioned, it is getting extremely tight for this league to get all 68 games in for all 20 teams. One of the things that I've heard a a little bit about that I would like to try to put a stop to right now is any notion whatsoever that the Memorial Cup is somehow a moving target. It's not. Okay. St. John is hosting. It's going to happen in June. It is set. You, You can't start even in January, toying with the Memorial Cup five months from now because there's just too much that the host city does to prepare to be the host city. So if I can bring to an end any of the little bit of scuttlebutt around that, I would like to right now. And then further to that, I I do wonder, like I started thinking, you play a three out of five in the first round of the playoffs to make up for a little bit of time because one way or another, you're going to have to make up some time. And then you start thinking, though, about how much the playoff revenue means to each team. And you're like, okay, so maybe the playoff revenue stays and you start lopping games off the end of the 68 game schedule, which is where I think the league will land. You can be sure they're talking about this. I don't know if they have a magic number of games that need to be rescheduled before they just say, okay, it's time to start cutting games off. But if if they do have that magic number and we haven't reached it yet, we've got to be awfully close but i would think it's coming off the regular season not the playoffs you're definitely not moving the memorial cup yeah i don't think we're you're moving the memorial cup at all just when you're basing on hotels the amount of people that are going into saint john that are going to be needing a hotel just the logistics of so let's say for instance you're going to move it to when you said it's june right memorial cup let's say you're going to move it to july well those hotels probably are booked in july so I can't even imagine the logistics and all the volunteers you have set aside, the ice time that you have set aside, uh, all, everything involved, all the businesses planning for this time of the Memorial Cup. I, don't, I can't envision them moving it at all. Um, and when it comes to playoff revenue, that's a non-starter in my mind for the 20 governors at the, at the league meeting. I can't imagine that they're going to vote in favor of cutting playoff games and punishing those 
teams that actually make the playoffs. Um, but now when you were talking about that and you're talking about lopping games off of the regular season, I have no problem with that, but are you going to convince the four teams that missed the playoffs that, Hey, you're not only not getting playoff revenue, but you're also losing five home games and losing that revenue. Yeah, it's well, and, and you're going to, I'll tell you when you're not going to convince them of that right now, when they're playing in front of zero fans and we're still a week away by the time this podcast is out, we're, you know, moving into the week where you'll be able to have 500 fans, but we're still what two weeks or so away from 50% capacity again, like goodness gracious. And this, this hurts certain teams more. Like we were looking at the schedule and I, and, I know this, this podcast is extremely Ranger based and, but you talked about it. Rangers have what basically played twice as many games at home this season as they have on the road. Basically since Christmas, it's been all at home and no revenue from those home games. So all these teams that are playing a lot of home games right now with fans, not in the stands, a you're losing out on home ice advantage, but you're also losing out on your gate. 500 people or not, who cares? It's a bottom line. That's going to help you. Uh, So with this, the the no fans in the stands it's certainly hurting more teams uh, or certain teams more and then you're going to tell them that hey you're going to lose five to ten home games i don't it's i'm glad i'm not in their position i'll say that yeah it's it's not easy uh, i would expect an announcement in the not too distant future that that something is going to happen around the schedule in the league just because you got to do something and when you mentioned that discrepancy in home games versus road games for the rangers it made me think of the team the Rangers just played this past weekend in Michigan, and that was the Flint Firebirds. Just real quick on them. They had just finished an eight-game road trip. Now, Christmas was in the midst of that too, but they were eight straight on the road. That Firebirds team, and, and Ted Dent especially, is a, is a pretty nice story. This is kind of like you know second chances for Ted Dent. If you don't know the entire history of the now head coach of the Flint Firebirds, starts out in coaching as the video coach of the Washington Capitals 20 odd years ago now uh, really makes his mark with Rockford in the American Hockey League the Ice Hogs the affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks part of three championships three Stanley Cup championships guys got three rings and then the famous tweet and delete have you ever tweeted and deleted Popey Uh, I have yes and if I'm just thinking about it because I don't I just want to make sure I'm accurate like I've definitely tweeted and deleted because I didn't tag the right person or I didn't, you know, like didn't spell a word correctly. That drives me crazy if I can notice it. Yeah. Um, but if it, to delete it because I changed my opinion, maybe once, maybe twice when I thought, yeah, that's pushing it. I'm going to, that might be crossing the line. I don't want to, you know, but I don't, I don't, I can't imagine it was anything crazy. I, I tend to overthink things as you know. Yeah. Um, so it was probably just something like that, but, or a spelling mistake. Well, Dent obviously regretted what he had tweeted uh, when uh, there were some roster shakeups in Rockford and he didn't really agree with the direction the club was headed. So he vocalized that on social media. And of course, if it's up for five minutes, it's up for four minutes too long because somebody's going to screenshot something. And then, of course, you know, he even tells the players, got a problem with this, go talk to Stan Bowman, the general manager in Chicago. And next thing you know, he's out of a job. Picks back up again as an assistant with the Niagara Ice Dogs. And now he's got that Flint team going like a buzzsaw currently. And listen, I just think it, I think it's a nice story all around as, like I said, you kind of get 
second chances for the head coach. And this team is, is flying high right now. They are. And it's a, it's a weird one to me because they were flying high for the last three years with Eric Wellwood in charge. And then he and Barclay branch leave. And then Ted comes in and I can't, I'm blanking on the Terry general manager, Terry Christensen. Maybe. I apologize, but he, he comes in in place of Barclay branch. So I was, and Terry was there before when all that, like when all the bad stuff was happening in Flint. So I was just kind of taken aback that Eric Wellwood would walk away from a job like that, especially at a young age. Um, Obviously landed on his feet in the pro ranks, but still I was a little taken aback, but that Flint hockey team, it doesn't surprise me. I know that a lot of people at the start of the year, maybe had them written off, but they had Luke Cavillan, one of the veteran goaltenders in this league, uh, Southpaw. And anytime you have Brennan Othman on that team, I mean, that's he's going to put up a couple goals. That's for sure. Um, and I just love to see it because I've talked on this podcast and on our broadcast numerous times about how much I just love that building because it just, you walk in and you can smell the butter from the popcorn from the seventies in there. Like it's, just, <laughs> it's like slap shot. It's a hundred percent like slap shot. Yeah. And I've talked about it, but I just love how the opposing team has to take this dark and scary walk around the bowels of the arena to get to the room. And it just looks dirty. Like you you're like, where are we? We are in the basement of an arena right now. And I love that because it's just, it's so intimidating. And then you go down the ice and fans right on top of you. They did a lot of renovations and stuff. And I'm glad that they turned that franchise around because I, I personally love that franchise. On the opposite end of the fan experience or game experience spectrum from Flint. Well, come on. It is what it is, no, right? Great segue. Great segue. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, of course, you know, now I'm talking about Mississauga and, and by the way, uh, for these kinds of conversations, because Popey and I just talked about it on our pregame show for one of our broadcasts this past weekend. Uh, follow the OHL Stories YouTube page. So Popey will do his coffee reviews. I do a weekly rant called Fridays with Farwell. And we got to figure out a way to capture. I'm just worried about the audio. We're going to figure it out, though. Yeah. We're going to do it. It's, we just hope the audio is clean enough, right? Anyway, but of our because when we do our pregame show, obviously – we're broadcasters for the Rangers, but we, we look at a story from Kitchener Rangers, the team they're playing, and then a story in the league. So hopefully we're giving you, you know, if, if you're in a market that doesn't have a pregame show, but you're getting set for the game, eh, just, you know, you can find City News 570 on the Radio Player Canada app or on the old interwebs. Ask your smart speaker to play it. Maybe you want to hear. We're going to get it up on the YouTube page too. OHL stories on YouTube. But we talked on our pregame show this past weekend. and we talked about why nobody seemed to be talking about, or maybe it's just us, the Mississauga Steelheads. Now, I think we might have jinxed them a little bit because they had a bit of a cooled off kind of weekend. But still, as we record this episode, they're five points clear of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds and seven of both Kingston and London for the overall lead in the Ontario Hockey League. And I was pumping Hamilton's tires, and I still maintain it's the Bulldogs that are the team to beat, not just in the East, but in the O this season but mississauga i shake your head all you want chris mississauga is playing lights out hockey still single digit losses halfway through the season it's crazy i'm just shaking your head that you're already crowning hamilton a champion and don't even like put some respect on dale and mark's name you know what i mean like how come on really have you ever heard of too much of a good thing it's too much of a good thing. I mean, sorry, London, you got a good thing. It's too much. Stop it. Enough already. 
go. What do you mean? So I'm, I'm just saying, because saying London is going to win the OHL championship is easy. It's like saying Tom Brady's going to win the MVP. It's just too easy. I like, I like to do things the hard way. So Hamilton, OHL champions this year. What? Listen, and they, and they very well could be. They could. I just, so could London. So could Mississauga. Very easily. (laughs) So could Guelph. So could a lot of teams. And welcome to the COVID year. Um, but yeah, it's a team that my, I guess my question is why is no one talking about them? Well, because, because they're in Mississauga. They're Mississauga? Yeah, yes. they don't get the media coverage that they maybe Probably. need. But um, yeah, they're <laughs> it's crazy. They didn't make a, a lot of moves at the deadline. They didn't um, make that big of a splash. I think it was Uberti that they got from Niagara. Um, but Luca uh, Del Bell is having a, yeah, an unbelievable season. 47 points in 35 games. Um, he was ranked 11th in the last North American central scouting draft list. Um, I saw, I retweeted my, or our buddy, Matt Cullen uh, this past weekend, because he, he covers the steelheads and he was given uh, Del Bell blues all of his props and rightfully so after that many points, but Owen Becker rookie leading all rookies in scoring and they're getting the goaltending. James Richmond has them playing obviously good team defense. I would assume we don't see their games. Um, but when you have two goalies that are at the top of the league and goals against average, that probably means that you're, playing the right way that's for sure and giving them some help so i just think they need to get some props because when when you're that clear like all the talk around at least us anyway with only seeing western conference games this year has been london guelph the sioux and rightfully so and then you look at the standings and you're thinking oh hamilton made all those moves oh what's adam dennis doing up in north bay anybody watching mississauga right now normally not but is anybody watching them at least in the standings because they're, as you mentioned, five games ahead of the Sioux right now, seven ahead of London. So whatever James Richmond is doing while doing both duties, general manager and head coach, uh, tip of the hat for sure. The other interesting thing, and, and I confess to not looking at this in the past, so I, I never know, uh, I don't know what it's looked like historically, but there is definitely um, a general consensus that West is best in the Ontario Hockey League. The Eastern Conference has been trying to kind of uh, – make itself more like the Western conference because we consistent consistently see Western conference teams, the 2018 Hamilton Bulldogs, notwithstanding, but Western conference teams end up being OHL champions. In fact, before that 18 Mississauga team, it was what the, or pardon me, the 18 Hamilton team was the 15 uh, Oshawa. Oshawa team. And then the 06 Peterborough team. And that's, that's it for this century. Or did Ottawa squeak in 2000, 2001? Something. So maybe there were four. I don't think so. Yeah. Because that might have been 99. I'm, I'm just going off the top of my head here. Bottom line is West seemed to be the, the dominant conference. You want an OHL champion? It's coming out of the West. You look at the standings right now, and I'm going to keep a closer eye on this now forever moving forward. But top 10 teams in the Ontario Hockey League, it's a split five and five between the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. And I'm not certain that's... That's always the case. You got Mississauga followed by Sioux and London. Kingston's in there. Barry and Oshawa uh, are in there on the eastern side. So North Bay, you already mentioned them, along with your Guelphs, your Sioux, et cetera, from Windsor in there from, from the west. So it, it's interesting to see top, top 10 are split evenly between west and east. Is west best this year? I don't know. Does east look better? And is Mississauga piling up points because they're playing Eastern conference teams all the time. I don't know, but it's interesting to look at. 
and I don't think that's fair to say anymore just because both conferences really have four teams, right? That are, uh, let's say five, five teams that are really contending. So they're going to have to face those, those East teams. And I haven't broken down the schedule, but it would be interesting to see how, um, how, what's their division like, because those teams in their division will be, you're going to play them more often. Right. And if your division is, rebuilding but you're going for it then your numbers are going to be inflated yeah you know like i we we broke down the schedule at the game the other day just because with kitchener's rest of the schedule you're thinking you're going to get a lot of london a lot of guelph a lot of two teams that are going for it you get a little bit of the sioux which is okay but then i it's just eerie's getting better by the day it's an interesting time in the western conference but then i think is mississauga just beating up on four other teams that are rebuilding no they're getting a steady diet of barry and north bay mm. so yeah. you know and, and barry still doesn't seem to have sorted itself out but they're definitely not taking themselves out of the conversation for sure mac guzda goalie of the week again there you go twice now since being in barry numbers are insane as a cold Anyway, another another tip of the cap or or, or a, a tap of the stick to James Richmond and sure. whatever it is he's doing there in Mississauga because he's got those guys going and it's nice to see. Farsi, before we get to our uh, interview, hit us up yeah. once more with our uh, sponsor this week. Yeah, David Schooley. He's an award-winning broker at Remax Twin City. Basically, it it comes down to this, right? You're going to get into the real estate market. You got to buy. You got to sell. Uh, David takes care of everything that you need, and he makes it easy look at think think of him as like the the ceo of your moving experience okay and once you touch base with him he's going to be right there with you through every step of the way so 519-577-1212 519-577-1212 online going tell david hope and farwell sent you quick congratulations to former kingston canadian and head coach of the owen sound attack mike stuthers who got his first national hockey league win the other day just like to keep people up to date. His names came up on this podcast a couple of times. I remember the main time was with Mike Fuda when talking about the attack. So congrats to Mike, uh, to our guest this week, 30, around 30 years covering the Ontario hockey league. Um, crazy numbers, uh, tons of Memorial cup experience. He, we get stories about Gretzky. We get stories about Lemieux, obviously tons of Ranger stories, Bellows, Stevens, coffee, Torquia so on and so forth. Torquia, is that okay to throw him in there? Yes, please. Throw him in every chance you get. We love that <laughs> guy. So. You're welcome, Torch. Up there with, <laughs> you know, guys whose banners are hanging. Um, anyway, uh, for David Schooley, here is our interview with Tom Conaway. Even before we get to covering the Kitchener Rangers and, and all of the decades you spent doing that, what about sports writing? What attracted you to the newspaper business? And was it always an interest in sports? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, well, I, I just told you that uh, I started uh, out uh, delivering papers, the record and uh, eventually the reporter uh, when I was just a kid. And uh, then in high school, I did a little bit of stringing for the, uh, for the record, um, uh, doing local sports. I would go into the office uh, in downtown Preston and teletype it up to the main office. And they paid me 15 cents a column inch. And uh, that was sort of my introduction to it during high school. They start paying that much. You're never going to leave at 15 cents a <laughs> column inch, eh? <laughs> well, it's, it's in story 90 cents. Yeah. 
what what was it like for what was it like back in the day i say back in the day in the early 80s before i was even around but what was it like covering an ohl team back then well we had a lot more time that's for sure uh we we didn't have the uh the uh, deadlines to meet like like we did later on um i i could go to a game and go out for a beer afterwards to the subscribers lounge and and then go back to the paper and i had all kinds of time um but you know, as when we got got into the uh, computer era, well, things tightened up, and the, the deadlines got tighter and tighter. And uh, uh, towards the end, I mean, it, it was almost a case of having to file the story within five minutes of the game ending. So you 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 dreaded, you know, a last minute change, a la- a late goal that changed the whole story. You had to do some fast maneuvering, you know. Uh, so that, that was the, that was the big change for me. I've always wondered about that, Tom, having never worked to that deadline. But you must, as the game is, you know, maybe 10 minutes left, have a pretty good idea of where your story's going and what everything looks like be, yeah. in order to meet deadline. Yeah, exactly. And, and so you, you would have things all planned out and you'd have your lead and, and then things would change. Uh, and uh, you'd have to switch it. Uh, uh, very quickly, and uh, they they wanted you to file that initial story, and then we would have time afterwards to go down to the dressing room to get some color stuff, uh, and then we would throw that into the second edition. So the second story was much better than the first. The first was a lot of you always did running copy to make sure you weren't stranded. <laughs> you know, we so as the game was going on, I was doing running copy, and I was constantly restructuring paragraphs and leads and uh, it, it, you know sometimes it was hard to concentrate on the game I always envied your job because you're so involved in the game but I had to worry about all this other stuff <laughs> and it was nerve-wracking yeah. this may this question may come across weird but 19 I'm picturing like 1981 are you sitting in the press box Do you have a typewriter or are you just on your pen and paper because obviously yeah, you didn't have your laptop. Uh, that, that, that's how uh, we, well, I, I'm old school. I always used a pen and paper. I, I rarely used a recorder because I, I found it took too much time to, to uh, unrecord it. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I always uh, use pen and paper for most of the time. I experimented with a tape uh, recorder at times, but I, I was more comfortable using pad and pencil. And uh, yeah, we were on, on the typewriters, I guess, right up until the late, I guess it was the early 80s when the computers came in and uh, we had to take crash courses at the record. And I thought, my gosh, am I ever gonna learn learn uh, how this thing operates? Uh, uh, but uh, you, you get used to it. And then when you look back, you, you wonder how you ever managed on the typewriter because you're, you're constantly uh, uh, tearing your copy in half and pasting it. and. Uh, I can, I, I can remember the 76 Olympics in Montreal and we had to send our copy back by phone. And uh, it, it was awful because we, we didn't have a computer. And uh, so you, you were on, uh, on a typewriter and then the person that you were sending your story to might not know anything about sports. So you had to explain everything. It, it, you, were, you were just worn to a frazzle by the time the night was over going through all this. Um, yeah, things have improved in that regard. That's for sure. Yeah. 
what I think back, Tom, to when you first started uh, covering sports for, I guess, what was it then anyway? It's Waterloo Region record now. Was it the Kitchener-Waterloo record, the KW record? Yeah, it's changed so often. Yeah, it really has. The Kitchener record, yeah. Yeah. So I actually, what, I actually started out uh, with the, uh, after I left high school with the Gold Reporter, I worked there for three years. And um, two years in advertising, which I didn't like. And then switched to editorial with Carl Fletcher. Did you know, did you know have you heard of Carl Fletcher? Absolutely. Yeah. Sports editor, uh, the old sports editor of the uh, reporter. Gr- great guy. And I learned, I think I learned more under him in a year than I would have going to journalism school. I, he was, he was just a great guy and he became a lifelong friend. Yeah. He uh, was a good newspaper man for sure. He was, you know, can yeah. you Tom put into perspective why I was wondering about that was what the team meant to the city you know, 50 years ago at this point, because we certainly remember the most recent, you know, mid to late nineties where it was a rough period for the Kitchener Rangers. You didn't see a lot of fans in the stands at the auditorium. What was it like when you first started leading into those three championship years? When I, well, I, the first team I ever covered was the 73, 74 Rangers. And uh, then the 80, 81 was the first Memorial cup team. So yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the city was right into the Rangers. Yes, the Rangers were the main beat. That's for sure. Um, I, I, I don't think there was any other beat in, in the paper as important as, as the Rangers. That is for sure. And, and the, the city uh, supported them. Well, you know how, how they, they uh, get behind them. And um, it just got more so and more so as, as the years went by. And then there, that that last Memorial Cup win in 03 uh, in the hoopla was was incredible. I can remember coming back into the city and the people in the streets and pulling into the auditorium and seeing these hundreds of people around the auditorium. And that was an exciting time. I guess that kind of leads me into my next question, being as it's been a while here in Kitchener. So what was it like covering a Memorial Cup? Because not many people have done that around this part in a, in a while anyway. Oh, well, um, my, my first one actually was here in Kitchener in 75. The Rangers weren't in it. The Marlies uh, represented the OHL. The Kitchener uh, hosted the, the Cup. So uh, I, I remember covering that one. Uh, the Marlies won it. They threw George Armstrong in the pool at one of the local hotels. George Armstrong was the coach. And then I used to go to the Memorial Cup when it was out of town uh, and the Rangers weren't involved. Um, Sudbury in 78 and uh, in 79, um, it was in Quebec, in Trois-Rivières, um, Sherbrooke and Verdun. And then in 81 uh, was Windsor, 82 Hull. And um, it, it was really exciting. I. I love covering it, but it, it was a lot of work. It was intense because it went on for a week and uh, you were working every, every day. And uh, at the end of it, I mean, you, you enjoyed it while it was going on, but at the end of the week, you were pretty weary. You were glad to get a few days off. Of the five you covered that the Kitchener Rangers appeared in, Tom, 81, oh. 82, 84, 90, and then... Oh, three. We've had a number of guests on this podcast already talk about that 90 Memorial Cup as being 
really the stuff of legend in junior hockey. Would it be the best of the five that you saw? Uh, I, I would say it was probably the well, definitely the most exciting uh, because just the way it ended. Uh, the Rangers lost two overtime games to Oshawa, and uh, that last game, I I can still see the goal. I'm not sure. I, I think it it caromed off somebody. Uh, Bill Armstrong shot from the point, and I, I I remember talking to him. He was a stay-at-home defenseman. He'd scored two goals all year, and. Uh, the puck was just inside the blue line and he had to make a decision. Do I go in and take a quick shot or retreat to the neutral zone? He decided to take the quick shot and uh, he then turned and he was skating back to the neutral zone. He heard the roar of the crowd and thought that he had assisted on the Memorial cup winning goal here. He had scored it. And uh, so that, that was an exciting ending, but uh, yeah, the, the, the Rangers, the, I don't, I don't think Joel McDonnell ever got over that loss. Um, he, he and Armstrong run into each other. Uh, Armstrong is the um, uh, amateur scouting director with uh, St. Louis and Joe's with Dallas. So their paths cross, I guess. And, and so Joe always reminds him of what a jerk he was. <laughs> <laughs> you, Tom, you talked about coming back into the city um, after that 03 cup and just everybody waiting at the odd and stuff, what yeah. was it like coming back? What was it like coming back into the city after that 90 loss though? Uh, well, I, I wasn't traveling with the team then I, I, um, I, I was traveling with the team in, in 81 and 82, but, uh, and, and in 03, we flew from, from, uh, Breslau on WestJet, but, uh, uh, in 90, because it was in Hamilton, I drove back, so I didn't experience the same thing. But I know the team, it, it was just dreadful, the, uh, the, the letdown, uh, because they had come so close. Uh, and I, I felt particularly sorry for Mike Torquia. And, and I always remember uh, Freddie uh, Braithwaite, the, the Oshawa goaltender, he rushed down the length of the ice to commiserate with, with, with Mike. And I don't know whether they knew each other, whether maybe they had played against each other in minor hockey, but he certainly fell, fell for Mike. And uh, I thought it was a real class act on the part of Freddie Braithwaite. <clears throat> and, the, and the thing is with, with, with that game, Freddie Braithwaite was a junior B goaltender who'd been called up late in the season. He'd hardly seen any action at all. And in that very last game, their regular goaltender, Kevin Butts, got hurt. Uh, in the second period, they just threw threw Freddie in, and and he he was so calm and cool and made some tremendous saves, and he was one of the reasons why they won that on that uh, Armstrong goal. So uh, you, you th those are the things I remember, yeah. And uh, also Lindros, who was a a, a a tremendous player, he was only seventeen and. You remember he, he turned down a, a chance to play in the Sioux. And uh, Oshawa made a big deal with the, the Sioux. I can't remember all the draft picks and players involved, but they got um, Lindros for half a season, and he was outstanding. And again, in the playoffs, he, he, he stood out. The funny thing was, in the, in, in the Memorial Cup, he didn't score a single goal. But he, was the, he, he made the all-star team. He had... And I, he had zero, zero goals, nine assists, but he was just a 
incredible influence on their success. That's another name that comes up frequently on this podcast when we talk to people who have been around the game for a while outside of of Lindros, Tom, and it could be it could be the Brian Bellows and the the Scott Stevens and the Al McInneses, or where, but other players that you saw in your time covering the game that that really left an indelible impression on you. Well, um, in, in 80, in 81, uh, in Windsor, Joe McDonnell had a, a, a great Memorial cup and he, he had had a, a wonderful season too, with a 15 goals, 50 assists. And Joe was the captain to start that season, that 80, 81 season. And Orville Tessier, um, took the C away from him because the team was struggling and gave it to Bellows, 16 years old. And Bellows in, in, in 81 and then again in 82. I, I'll, I'll never forget how he played. He, um, and in, in 82, he, um, they lost the first game in that uh, tournament, 10-4. Uh, um, and uh, it, things didn't look good at all. But the next game, Bellows got them going right off the bat. He scored within 11 seconds in that second game. They beat Portland 9-2. And then in the final uh, against Sherbrooke, he, um, uh, he had three goals and two assists. And for some reason or other, they gave the most valuable player of the tournament to Sean McKenna, Sherbrooke. And, and, and Bellows didn't even make the all-star team. It was an, an incredible injustice. But Brian Bellows, for sure, stands out in that one. Yeah. Uh, in in um, 84, well, you, you had uh, uh, John Tucker and Wayne Presley. They were the two big shooters then. And um, how, how they ever lost that, they, they had a, a great regular season. And they, were, they played well in the, uh, in the Memorial Cup. But uh, in fact, they beat Ottawa 7-2 in the round robin and then lost 7-2 in the final to Ottawa that year. And I'll, the thing I remember about that is uh, poor Ray LeBlanc, the goaltender, uh, the score was 1-1 in the first period, and um, Ottawa scored two fluke goals, one from the corner of the rink, and the other one by Bruce Cassidy, a defenseman who's the head coach of Boston now. He banked one off the sideboards. LeBlanc came out to block it, and it slipped past him into the open net, and that made it 3-1, and it was game over. That was the end of it. They went on a 1-7-2. So... It's things like that that I remember. Um, I, I really felt for for LeBlanc that night, and um, and then in uh, let's see, what's the, the the next one? Well, oh, 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 three. Uh, that was just an incredible performance. That was a a true uh, a team effort. Uh, five of the Rangers made the All Star team. Uh, you know, Dickey in goal, uh, uh, Steve Eminger on defense. And then uh, Derek Roy, who, who, who I love to watch play, uh, saw him play for his entire four years. Uh, Mike Richards and um, Greg Campbell. And Greg Campbell, yeah, he would be one that, 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 that really stood out. And he was basically considered a power forward, a defensive type forward. And DeBoer wanted, Peter DeBoer wanted to strengthen the team that year with some 
some weight and some some uh, physical play. So he he made a deal with his old Plymouth team, uh, and he sent a real good player, uh, uh, Ramsey, I believe it's named Ryan, Ryan Ramsey. I'm not sure. It was Ramsey anyway. He was a skilled player and a top draft pick. He sent him to Plymouth along with a, a second round pick, um, Gary Klapkowski, for Campbell to 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 get to to get his um, physical part of the game in, uh, into the Ranger lineup. And what a job Campbell did. He got over 20 goals during the regular season, scored 15 in the playoffs, and and um, made the all-star team and uh, won the uh, playoff or the uh, Memorial Cup scoring championship. And he was brought in as a power forward. He wasn't expected to do all that. Uh, I, I think P Peter pointed to him, Emager, and Roy as the three people that won that series. So those are the guys I remember. But there, were, I mean, there, were, there was a great supporting cast too. Andre Benoit, in defense, you know, he was a, he was a great player, and uh, uh, there were so many of them. Dick Dickey was just tremendous in goal. Yeah, Peter Kanko, I think he led he led the tournament goals that that, who's that? Uh, Memorial who's Cup. That? Uh, Peter Kenko. Peter Kenko. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. They led the yeah. led the tournament. I'm I'm curious in your in your 30 years of covering the Ontario Hockey League, was that 03 Rangers team the best hockey team you saw? You know, uh, Peter DeBoer said that he had coached more skilled teams, but he had never coached a team that had the perseverance and the drive of that team. Um, but yeah, I would say that was probably the most skilled. Well, I don't know. No, it's hard to say because in 82, that, that was a tremendous team in 82. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, with, with Bellows and Larmer and, and Stevens and McInnes and Wendell Young. and Oh, there were so many of them. You know, uh, it, it occurs to me, Tom, as, as we're recounting these championships that you covered, especially early on, 81, 82, 84, and then the end of the 89 calendar year, 89-90. So four essentially in a decade. And then a little over a decade later, that second Memorial Cup is, is captured. Chris and I have been working together five years. Uh, a Western Conference final double overtime loss, pretty exciting. But that's as, uh, that's as far as we've gotten together. There must have been a point in time where you're thinking, oh, this is the, the greatest beat on earth. They're always just winning championships or at least going to them. Yeah, so oh, for sure, yeah. And, and, you know, the one season that I really enjoyed, uh, it seemed everything happened, was, was the 78-79 um, season. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the Rangers, uh, they weren't um, a contending team, but they were, they, they were a good, solid uh, team. But uh, it, it seemed that everything happened. They had, they had a bunch of suspensions over a a team party with 10 players were suspended. Uh, they had a wild um, uh, second round playoff series with Niagara. Niagara Falls Flyers, probably the, the, the craziest series I ever saw. It went seven games. Uh, in the uh, fifth game, they lost 10-2 down in the Niagara. And uh, uh, Bob Ertle, the coach, he, he got upset with the officiating of Tom Brown. Um, uh, he, he got tossed and uh, uh, actually he walked off the bench at the end of the second period. 
just left the bench and Mike Penny came down and took over the team. And then with one minute left to show up Brown, Penny threw t- uh, um, Dave Jennings, the goaltender, out as a forward. I, it, was, it was crazy. And um, so there were all kinds of suspensions and they, both teams had to buy their players back. And uh, Bob Ertle, I think he got three games. Uh, he, he said he resigned just so he could criticize the referees. And, uh, and then he came back and he, 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 he resumed his position the following year. Uh, Mike Penny got fined $200 for sending Jennings out as a forward. And uh, it, it was a while. You mentioned a name earlier in Joe McDonnell. You covered him as both a player and as a coach. How did that? How did he change in his time within Kitchener? Um, I had, I admired him as a, as a player. I, I mentioned that great final season he had, 80, 81. That was his final season before going on to play pro. And it, he he didn't uh, uh, play long in the NHL. He was with uh, Vancouver and. And Pittsburgh, but uh, I think he had he, I, I think he had back uh, problems, and, and uh, I think it was injury problems that that curtailed his uh, career. And then, of course, he came in as as a coach in the in the um, uh, late eighties, and then was coach until ninety five. And he was a, an intense, fiery guy. I mean, he um, I, I like Joe uh, dealing with Joe, but he and I uh, we didn't see eye to eye at times, and he. He, he didn't like to be criticized. Uh, he, uh, he turned on me in Windsor one time and uh, refused to speak to me. And uh, that went on for a while. And I can remember writing a piece saying, look, uh, if, if Joe ever goes on and coaches in pro ranks, he better develop a, th- a, th- a thicker skin. Uh, he was very sensitive to, uh, to any kind of criticism. But, you know, he, he was just intense. He wanted his team to win and things weren't going well at that time in the early 90s so it was just his reaction I, I held nothing against him I like Joe he and I are, are, are I consider him a friend and uh, we've had many a, a good chat whenever we've bumped into each other but um, yeah he was he was a very serious guy when he was coaching that's for sure that's always the line you walk isn't it Tom and and for anybody that covers a team as closely as Chris and I do today or any of the other media colleagues we have across the league it was the same for you you're with the team all the time you're expected to create copy after every game on off days etc uh did was it was it uncommon to rub a coach the wrong way no you know that first year that i covered the team 73 74 uh eddie bush uh i don't know if you've read anything about eddie oh he was a he he had a short fuse oh old school coach i'll tell you and he uh he banned me from the bus one time and uh, it, it didn't last long, but uh, he wasn't going to let, because he was feuding with Ted Mackey, the president of the team. I think Ted Rett respected Eddie's ability as a coach, but they didn't see eye to eye on how Eddie did things. And I think Ed, Eddie was pretty coarse with the players. And um, so I, I, some of the stuff I was writing about the feud between him and Ted he didn't like, and so he turned on me and banned me from the bus. And uh, he he told me one time, he says, "Look, Tom, he says we're all in this together. You're an arm of the team." <laughs> and that didn't sit too well with me, you know, because you know when you're covering a team, you are not an arm of the team. And uh, 
Eddie didn't understand that. He thought that we were all in it together, that I was part of the team. But uh, I liked him. I liked Eddie because he was he was good copy, and uh, he 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 always made things exciting. Yeah, and he was a, he was a good co a good hockey man, and uh, I interviewed him a few years after he left the Rangers, and he had a chance to coach the old um, uh, Kansas City. Uh, I think it was the Kansas City Scouts, and uh, Sid Abel, an old friend of his from his Detroit Red Wing days. Uh, asked him to because Eddie had never coached at that level before and I, I think the scouts won one of 20 games so I phoned Eddie up in Collingwood and asked him what his what his feelings were about that time and he says I didn't even realize we'd only lost one game you know and I, that, that, that was Eddie but uh, he was a, he was a fun guy to be around really most of the time he sat at the back of the bus though Mike you know, all the other coaches sat at the front of the bus. Yeah, and yeah. He, sat at the, he sat at the back of the bus and so did we. We sat in front of him and uh, he would go to sleep and then and then he would wake up about 20, 20 miles out of town, light up his pipe and and start yelling at the players. You know, turn on the, and they turned on the rock music and he would walk up and down the aisle and get them going. <laughs> he was a character. You Is that one of the weirdest that. things you saw on the bus? Pardon? I I know bus stories are meant to stay on the bus, but was that one of the yeah oh yeah, yeah. weirder weirder things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's for sure. Yes, yeah, that that was, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, there weren't that many uh, weird things uh, uh, happening on the bus. The you know the veterans always uh, later on uh, when the coaching staff moved to the front of the bus. The veterans, of course, always is it the same way now? They play cards at the back. Yeah. Now, nowadays, they all have phones and stuff, so the cards have kind of gone. We yeah. don't see too many games of cards, but I like seeing well, the cards again because it reminds me, me of the old days. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm dating myself. Card <laughs> <laughs> games. You don't even play card games anymore. Right? That's how I grew up. It was always card games on the yeah. bus. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, and then you could always tell the studious ones they were into the books. I, you know, I, that's the one thing that stands out from that um, 82 Memorial Cup. It was a beautiful, warm week in Hull. And uh, the players were doing different things around the hotel and all that. And there was a, a, a rookie in the team by the name of Jimmy Quinn. And Jimmy, he was out in the balcony doing his studies. He was always studying. And uh, he played two more years with the... Um, uh, the, the Rangers, and he was a big part of the 84 team. And then he went on after that to Western, and he became a doctor. And the last time I talked to him, he was a, a, an emergency room doctor in Michigan. And uh, that's quite a few years back, but long after he left the Rangers. But I always remember how studious he was. And there were players like that. Others were just kibitzing around. Others were serious students. And uh, they knew they were missing their schoolwork, and so they tried to make up for it on the bus. Well, speaking of those bus trips, Tom, you and I were chatting just before we went on the air here today about some of the memorable ones for the weather when it was bad. And, and you, much like many others, were not a fan of that Mackinac Bridge crossing in Sault Ste. Marie. No. Uh, I, I, now, I can't remember exactly the date of it. But I remember it was a storm and the, the, it was blowing 
and we had to wait on the American side. We always went, came up the American side and the bus drivers explained to us they like coming up the American side because there's less chance of running into a moose or a or, or, or deer. <laughs> we can attest so, to that. Yeah. So, so uh, no, we were waiting and waiting. And then when the police came and they took us across it, I don't know, 15 kilometers an hour. And uh, as I told you, Mike, I'm sitting at the window looking down at that choppy water and the guardrail looked about one foot high. And I thought, okay, like how long would you last in there? And uh, I can swim a bit, but. <laughs> you don't want to <laughs> find out. I did not like crossing that bridge. Some it things never change. The weather was nice. But, uh, and then I told you about uh, when we went uh, to our hotel, the bartender there told us that a, a Volkswagen had been blown off there only a few weeks earlier. So <laughs> that only added to my fears. <laughs> but, uh, but you, you know, I, and I mentioned too uh, about the, um, we, we were talking about the traveling, all the traveling we did. I never, all the hundreds and thousands of miles a week I put in driving myself. I, I was never in an accident except once and it wasn't covering a, an OHL game. Uh, we had started a, a professional hockey beat in 93 and I was going down to Toronto to the Leaf games all the time. And I was passing the airport and uh, a big transport came over. I was in his blind spot and he just nudged the back of my uh, fender and sent me across all three lanes at the airport and not a single car was coming. I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe my good luck. And I had to, I had to turn before I hit the concrete barrier, came right back across to where I had started. I did a big, big U-turn and stopped. And I was in shock. The coffee I was drinking was all over me. Um, the traffic, I looked in the mirror and the traffic was all lined up behind me. And as soon as they saw I was okay, the guy that hit me in the big white transport truck took off in like a shot. And there was no damage to, to my vehicle. And I went to the Leaf game that night that I, I think I was sitting up in the press box there in a, in a state of shock the whole night. Oh my uh, goodness, I, I, could, I, could, I was 53 then and I'm 81 now. I consider all this world time. <laughs> that was so. the worst experience I ever had yeah, on the road. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Um, I, I can't believe we didn't lead with this question, Farsi, but in your time in covering the Rangers, what was your relationship like with Don Cameron? Oh, great guy. Great guy, Don. I, I, I got along really well with Don. I, 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 I didn't... Um, uh, room with uh, Don because he always roomed with uh, his color commentators um, in the early days. I, I, I can't remember everybody who, who worked with them, but there was Mac McDonald who did the, uh, the stats at one time. He would go on. Uh, Wes Lilly back back in the uh, I remember Wes was there in, in the 81 Memorial Cup and he was with Don for a long time. And then of course Gary Doyle for years. And uh, we always used to go to, the, to Don's room for a few cold ones and a, a, good, a, a good chit chat. Don always carried a little pack with them and, and uh, or we'd hit, we'd hit the bar in the, in the hotel. And, uh, but uh, I remember in the 81 um, uh, Memorial Cup, Don, Don took sick. 
and he didn't do the final game. I, I don't know if he missed any others. I know I know he missed the final game. Bill Inkle filled in for him. Uh, he took sick, Don, and I think he had to have some surgery. But that's the only time I remember him uh, missing. Um, but uh, we, we had some good time. I, the only the one time I, I, I do remember uh, bunking in with him was up at the Cardinal. Did you do you ever stay at the Cardinal uh, Motel up in Sudbury? That that used to be our stopping spot all the time. Unless it's got a different name now. We yeah. yeah. No offense to the city of Sudbury. I don't think we've had a good hotel any of our trips up there. Oh well, <laughs> we used to stay at the Cardinal and. Um, I, I, I got to tell you this story. I call it the Cardinal Caper. And um, uh, I, I, I think I might have been rooming with Don that night. We were sitting out in the lobby. And um, three of the Ranger players knew Dave Staffen, who used to play for the Rangers. And Dave had been traded to Hamilton and then when came back, he, he came to Sudbury. So they're playing in Sudbury. I think it was a Saturday night. And... Uh, um, the, the, the coach allowed them to, 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 to go out and uh, fraternize. And, uh, oh, I, I forget what they did. They, they, went, they went downtown and celebrated a bit. And then they, they, they came into the lot of the uh, Cardinal at 2.30 in the morning. And we're still sitting around the lobby. Eddie, Eddie Bush was sitting around the, the, the lobby. And um, they, they came in with the horn blaring. Uh, you think they'd have a little more sense, but no. And and the, the, the tires squealing. Well, Eddie, Eddie, he, he uh, his eyes went like saucers, and he tore out of there. And he confronted these three guys in the uh, in the lobby, and he told me that he was sending them home. So I wrote the story that night, and um, the next day on the bus over to the Sioux, he came to me and he says, "Can you stop that story?" I said, no, I can't stop the story, and, I, and there's no way that I would have, even if I could have. And um, he says, I've decided to play the play these three guys. He wasn't going to send them home at all. So he played them in the Sioux, and the Rangers lost again. The Rangers were in a real funk right then. And uh, I think they wound up getting a, a $50 fine each when they got home. And uh, Dave Staffan uh, from the Sudbury Wolves apologized to Eddie that he had gotten them into this mess. But I call that the cardinal caper. It, it was it was kind of fun at the time to watch it all happen. I <laughs> always doubt it. Yeah, it's always better on the outside of those things. Yeah. Uh, but but Don, no, I, I can't say anything more than uh, about Don and that he was just a wonderful guy and a class guy. Uh, you know, you could chat with him. He was a great baseball fan. We used to talk baseball a lot, and. Um, he was a great student of, uh, of Scottish history. We, we, we discussed uh, Scottish history a lot, you know, the Battle of Culloden and whatnot. Don knew all about it. Yeah. And, and, and he loved poetry too. Yeah. Yeah. He was an all round guy. <laughs> oh, he was. Miles, it'll be miles to go before I sleep. I, I, you still quote him sometimes in your broadcasts, eh? Every now high and wide, again. High wide, not so handsome. You got to have those ones in there. Absolutely. <laughs> Always. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A couple of players you mentioned earlier, Tom. Uh, Wayne Presley, John Tucker, and that 84 team. Yeah. That was the team that went on that 25-game heater that is still a CHL record. That's what do you, right. 
what do you remember covering? Like at, at what point, even as somebody just covering it, does it start to get, you know, like something pretty special is happening here and you're wondering what it's going to end and it doesn't until 25 games. What, what was that experience like? Oh, I would just, just uh, sheer excitement game after game after game. Yeah. You, 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 you wondered how long that was going to go on, but uh, they, they had uh, some, some tremendous players on that team. So it didn't really, well, 25 games, you don't expect that. But uh, a long winning streak, yeah, no, that, that was no surprise with that crew. They, they were a good, good hockey team. And it was unfortunate. Tom Barrett uh, coached that team, and, and that was his chance to, to win it all. And I felt badly because uh, uh, Tom, uh, he lost his job about three or four years later. Um, and when the Rangers fell on bad times after, after that, and, uh, and then, of course, the 90s weren't too pleasant either. After the after the ninety Memorial Cup, but uh, no, that that long long streak I do remember that, and uh, yeah, Presley and Tucker, great players, and yeah, good memories. Back to that eighty one Memorial Cup, if I can, real quick, Tom. Um, Dale Howarchuk was part of that Cornwall Royals team. Oh, yeah. When you saw when you saw him, was he the type of player that you knew right away? Obviously, he was. I think he went what second oh. overall, but. Yeah, he, he, he was just uh, so good. He he won the Quebec Scoring Championship that year, and uh, uh, he signed with uh, Winnipeg, um, or he was drafted by Winnipeg that, that year, and uh, along with um, one of his high-scoring teammates, Scott Arneal. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they, uh, yeah, he, he was just exceptional. I mean, he, yeah, the Rangers ran into a real juggernaut there, that's for sure. Yeah, good, good there- team. Wasn't there some guy named uh, Mario kicking around in that 84 championship too? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm thinking of a ranger. No, yes, sorry. Indeed. Yeah, yes, indeed. His last oh, name rhymes yeah. with Schmilu. Yeah. <laughs> Mario Lemieux, yes, came in 282 points in the Quebec League and uh, unheard of 130 goals. And, and well, you, you thought he would just dominate. The Rangers beat them 8-2 in the first game. He didn't get anything. Uh, I think he had a goal and assist in the second game. And in the third game, he got an assist. So he finished the tournament, one goal and two assists. Lavelle went out in three games. They, uh, yeah, he, he didn't do much. But he, you know, he, he signed with uh, Pittsburgh right after that. So, yeah. Just, just think, though, Tom, you saw one of the incredibly rare uh downtimes of Mario Lemieux's career. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, it was a downtime, all right. Yeah. Yeah, two points a game is downtime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Well, you know, I, 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 re- I remember you talked about uh, Mario Lemieux. I saw Gretzky when he was 16. He came down with the Sioux Greyhounds. Uh, and it was, no, I'll never forget the date, November 13th, 1977. And he came down as a 16-year-old and he was getting all kinds of publicity. Um, and, uh, the Rangers beat the Sioux that game seven, five. I watched him intently because he, he was getting so much publicity and he was scoring, a, you know, two, two, three points a game. Uh, the game before that he had scored a goal and he had a goal and three assists in the, uh, against the Marlies in Toronto. Then they came to Kitchener on the Sunday afternoon. So I'm watching him really closely. And I thought, you know, he doesn't really dominate the game. But he does so many things right, and he moved the puck so well. And at the end of the game, he had a goal and three assists. 
So he had two goals and six assists in those two weekend games. But Bob, you know what really bugged Bob Ertle in that game? Uh, the score was 7-4, and uh, the Sioux scored with one second left, and Gretzky did a little dance in front of the net. And that really, really irritated Bob Ertle. He, he, he didn't like that at all. And, uh, but I remember going down and talking to him afterwards, and he was just sort of, sort of a non-assuming kid, grade 11, great, great poise. Uh, he, he, he said, he says, I'm used to all the publicity. He says, it doesn't bother me. And he, he says, I got I to gotta work on my skating. He says, I, I'm going to take uh, power skating in the off season. He says, my skating needs improving. And, uh, and he was also interested in getting into sports. He didn't talk about a pro career. He was talking about uh, becoming an, an announcer. He was going to do disc jockey work in, in, uh, in the Sioux uh, that summer. Well, that was the only year he played in the OHL. He, uh, the next year he was in the WHA with uh, Indianapolis and then eventually Edmonton. And then Just imagine if he would have got his skating figured out. <laughs> just imagine if he was still a dj that would have been something else eh? yeah oh, oh yeah brian schnur was was uh supposed to um check him in that game and he did a really good job for the first part of the game he he, he held them but then the rangers took a big lead and the rangers kind of stopped defending them and uh that's when gretzky broke loose but uh, i remember talking to brian after the game and he he says uh yeah he's a pretty good player he says uh uh, God, he's got four years left, but, but he didn't, you know, he went, to, <laughs> he went to pro the next year, but uh, it was, it's fun to look back and remember coach, uh, uh, chatting with a, a player of, you know, that immense ability. Yeah. I, I think even if you talk to Gretzky for 10 seconds, you still tell everyone that you talked to Gretzky at one point, <laughs> right. Yeah, even if you just pass him in a hall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, Tom. Was, this that was kind of a. I was kind of was a. When I look back, I was kind of a highlight. For sure, for yeah. sure. Uh, this league has a long history of legendary coaches: Maverdy, Dick Todd, Killer, obviously Templeton. Did you have a favorite coach, whether in Kitchener or around the OHL that you covered? Yeah, Brian Kilray. Love, love Brian Kilray, and uh, I, I, I loved going into his uh, man cave after after the game, because you know, he had a, a barrel full of beer, and uh, if you wanted to smoke a cigar, he had a box of cigars, and he would give you all the time in the world, and uh, I, I remember the Memorial Cup, I guess it was, it was 84, and uh, interviewing him at one of the local hotels, and uh, boy, at the end of that interview, he just had the Molson X's all lined up along the windowsill. <laughs> Brian knew how to how to enjoy himself and I, I apparently he's 87 now and and is still going strong yeah but I, I really enjoyed him and 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 Bert Templeton uh, he would be probably looking back I would say he was the toughest toughest one to deal with because he had no time for for, for the media uh, the only the only time I re remember him really breaking loose was on uh, during that wild series with Niagara Falls when he was coaching in Niagara in, in 79. Um, he, uh, he and Ertl were jawing back and forth. And uh, boy, you got some great quotes from both of them. But uh, uh, Bert came, uh, he, he, he came out of his cocoon uh, during that series. And he, 
he, he, he spoke openly, but most of the time you couldn't get in. I knocked on the door of his room all the time after a game, but I knew what to expect. He wouldn't say anything. He might talk to you for a while, but you wouldn't have anything that you could use. It was pretty hopeless. <laughs> but you were That's what Farwell says when he works he, with me. He was, I like, you know, and the funny thing is I don't dislike any, any of these guys. I, 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 I like, I realized he was just a very intense individual. And, um, but uh, looking back, I would have to pick him as the most difficult guy to deal with. Yeah. You mentioned a moment ago, Tom, how the 90s were, you know, following that Memorial Cup, obviously, with Joe McDonnell, Mike Torquia and company. Uh, it, it was a rough decade. Let's just call it what it is for the Kitchener Rangers organization, yeah. a very proud organization. Yes. It, in retrospect, we, we can look back and, and see, obviously, the turnaround when Pete DeBoer and Steve Spot arrived. But covering that, what what was it like leading up to that moment? I'm sure there was some, you know, rumbling out there that this was about to happen. But what did it mean at the time? You mean at the time uh, Peter came in? Correct. Um. Well, uh, uh, they finished. They finished out of the playoffs two of the three years prior to Peter Cup, and Jamie McDonald was the uh, the, the uh, general manager over those three years. And then the Rangers uh, bought out his contract. Uh, he was fired. Bought out the last two years of his contract. I, I believe that's how it happened. Jamie was here three years, missed the playoffs two of those years, but made some good draft picks. He made some really good draft picks. And a, a lot of those guys that he picked, like uh, Roy and Benoit and uh, Richards, they 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 formed the uh, the the, the uh, core of the club in in 03. And and Peter, uh, he he just added the finishing touches. Um, everybody was excited about Peter because he had that reputation coming into town. And yeah, it was an exciting time when he signed. But he he did a great job of of adding the necessary players. Dave Clarkson, great addition. Um, uh, Nathan O'Navagon, um, uh, George Halkidis uh, on on defense, and 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 guys of that, and and Gregory Campbell, who I've uh, touched on. Those four guys added a, a lot of uh, physical power to the team, and I think put them over the top. Uh, Peter did a, a great job, but he also he also had some good young players to to work with from the Jamie McDonald era. But it, it, it went, sure, there was a lot of excitement because everybody wanted the Rangers to turn things around and Peter DeBoer was gonna be the man to do it. And, and he did. Although the first, the first year, they had a pretty good record. I think they finished third in their division. That would have been um, 0102, Peter's first year. But they went out in the first round to Guelph four straight. And I think that really shook Peter up. He realized, hey, I, I've, I've got to get strength in this team. We're getting beaten in the corners and on the boards. We've got to strengthen this team. And he did. He was the last guy to get it done. We're coming up on 15 years without a OHL championship, 20 years without a Memorial Cup championship. Yeah. It's, uh, it hasn't been the kindest decade around here now, that's for sure. No, 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 that's, that's true. Yeah, that's... You don't realize it at the time of what you're facing. <laughs> yeah, and right. you got to cover five. <laughs> yes. What's that? Can... Oh, yeah, that's you got... right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're jealous, Tom. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> well, I it was a great way for me to, to end, 
end my career. I worked two, two more years beyond that, but uh, I retired in 05, but that, that Memorial Cup in 03 was sort of a, my grand hurrah with the Rangers. And uh, uh, it was a good way to, to, to end it all. All right. Before before we end this, and Chris asks his inevitable one more question because he always does that. Sure. When you when you talked about toughness, uh, I couldn't help but think back to, I mean, and we've heard so many stories on this podcast about the way the game was, you know, through the seventies, eighties, even into the nineties. I think of a guy like growing up in Kitchener, Tom, uh, Mike Moore, who I, I vividly oh, yeah. remember supermanning into the opposition's bench. Like this guy feared no one but what were 81 and 82 he had close to 375 minutes of penalty both unbelievable years. yeah yeah and but, yeah he was oh he, he he was a tough character mike good player and I, I, I liked him he added a lot to those those uh two memorial cup teams in 81 and 82 that's for sure do you remember any uh, games tom where things were just getting so out of hand you'd wondered if they you know finish actually playing hockey uh, you mean uh, like you know brawls they, or they, they would end the game it was getting totally out of hand no no not that they would but when you're covering this and you're you know you see one fight after another maybe there's a bench clearing brawl maybe there's a line brawl oh well well that that series uh, in uh, against Niagara in 78 79 right that, that, that was absolutely the wildest thing I ever saw yeah it was just fights and uh, oh I, I, I just downright dirty play <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then the coaches would get in got into it and uh, oh yeah that, that was a crazy series yeah but there, there were so many you know we, we've t- touched on a lot of players and there's so many good players that the rangers had that i haven't even mentioned like paul reinhardt what a great player he was and um uh in that crazy series that i was talking to you about but against niagara in 70 79 i they, Paul scored three goals in six minutes or seven minutes in a, in one game to beat the Falls. Like he was just a, a very good player. And of course he proved it at the pro level too. But uh, there are so, so many of them that Doug Riseborough was a favorite of mine. That, um, that team he was on in 73, 74, they, they might've gone further than what they did. They lost to Peterborough, uh, Roger Nielsen's tough Peterborough team in, in 74. And, uh, Riseborough had hurt his knee at Christmas time and uh, never played again. And uh, it, it, that year, and then the, the following year, he turned pro. Uh, but the loss of him in the, on that 73 74 team was, was disastrous to the Rangers. So there's guys like that I hate to, to end this by not mentioning because Riseborough was a favorite of mine. So amazing how you can recall the years these players played. I can't remember five years ago. Like it's amazing. We're, we're uh, usually counting. It's true, Tom. Like oh. he was here when, and we start counting. Is he? Yeah, he's an OA. He's an OA now, so he was. A, yeah. Anyway, it's good. <laughs> it remind, it honestly reminds me of talking to Don. I don't. I don't think I have, but uh, by 45, 50 years is a long time. <laughs> It honestly reminds me of talking to Don in the media room all those years because he'd just rhyme them off. He'd be able to tell you how many points uh, I don't know. I had Paul Reinhardt had on December sixth in the seventh. You know, <laughs> he was amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, for sure he did. Yeah. 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 Um, my last. My last question. We talked about these five Memorial Cups. The first one was in Windsor, then in Hull, here in Kitchener, Hamilton, and then Quebec. The Memorial Cups are known nowadays, anyway, for 
some of the fun that's had with media members and people covering the Memorial Cup in some of these cities. Which one of those five cities did you have the most fun in? Most fun. Let's see. Uh, I liked Windsor. I think Windsor has a bad reputation. I always, I always liked Windsor. Um, we had a good time at Hull. Hull was, uh, uh, of course, Kitchener in 84. I mean, uh, uh, let's see, Hamilton. Uh, uh, I would say, I would say uh, Hull and Quebec City. So I'm favoring Quebec here. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot, of, a, lot of, a, lot, a lot of fun in Hull and a lot of fun. In, uh, you know, the thing I remember, Jeff Hicks and I traveled around a lot. We, we love Quebec City. And we did a lot of touring. We, uh, it was, there was a lot of work involved, but we we toured the countryside too. Uh, Montmorency Falls. I think everybody should see Montmorency Falls outside Quebec. It's uh, to me, it's, it's almost as spectacular as Niagara. And and we did the the Big Island there. I forget the name of it. Uh, it's very rural. In uh, uh, Quebec City, is like being in Europe. Uh, so we we did a lot of traveling around Quebec City. Uh, we saw every nook and corner and that was just a, it was just a, a fun time. So I would, I would say Quebec City and then Hull. Good to know. Now I know where I'm planning my next vacation. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Tom, I got to say, as a, as a kid growing up in the city, reading your byline uh, every single day on the sports pages, this has been uh, a real treat. So thanks very much for making time to share your stories with us. Oh, thanks, Mike. And, and uh, I, I, I enjoy your broadcast. I enjoy listening to you and Chris, too. So all the best to you, too. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.